All right, we are back, and I need to talk in this segment a bit about that wonderful Stan Freeberg tribute that uh, took place at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood last week. I think the single greatest moment of the evening was Hunter Freeberg, Stan's wife, telling the story of how he got started in show business, which went as follows. Stan Freeberg, as an 18-year-old kid, with a, apparently, scholarship to go to Stanford, told his folks, and his father was a Swedish Baptist minister, that he was interested in trying his hand in Hollywood. They lived, like, in Pasadena somewhere, I guess. So his mother packed him a lunch, and he got on the bus. He rode the bus, or several buses, I guess, down to Hollywood, and at some point, as people were getting off, said to the bus driver, I'd like to get off in the middle of Hollywood. To which the bus driver replied, Kid, this is about as in the middle as it gets. So young Stan, with his packed lunch, gets off the bus and goes into the nearest Orange Julius, where he orders one of their drinks and eats his sandwich. He then walked across the street and observed a sign on one of the buildings noted that there was a talent agency inside. He then walks up the stairs and enters the agency and says to the woman inside, I'm looking for representation. She eyes the young man and says, well, what do you do? Stan Freeberg says, I do voices. She said, well, okay, can we hear them? Young Stan proceeds to do FDR, Jimmy Durante, and Porky Pig. The woman in the talent agency says, hold on a minute. She calls Warner Brothers. Apparently Warner Brothers tells her, sure, bring the kid by next week or the week after. She says, no, no, I'm going to bring him by now. 18-year-old Stan Freeberg is then driven to the Warner Brothers lot. Where for the low-level executives there, he then does FDR, Jimmy Durante, and Porky Pig. To which their response was, can you come back tomorrow? And naturally, he does so. They put him behind the curtain, hear the voices, open up the curtain and say, we can use you. And within a day or two, people like Chuck Jones of Roadrunner fame and other cartoonists are putting him to work, aside Mel Blanc and others. Within a week, he has his SAG card, Screen Actors Guild. And about a week later, one of his co-workers turns to him and said, Stan, how is it we've never heard of you? His nonchalant response is, well, I don't know. I've been around. To which his co-workers replied, oh, oh, Stan, we didn't mean it like that. We weren't implying you just got off the bus. And you know, I totally believe that story. At any rate, someone who we know didn't just step off the bus would be our pal, voice actor extraordinaire, Corey Burton. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Corey. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you anytime. You actually have had a chance to work with the immortal Stan Freeberg. Yeah, they they wanted me to uh, recreate the uh, sound of Paul Fries on uh, Stan Freeberg presents the United States of America chapter two the middle years Paul Fries uh, was my idol and uh, was the narrator of the original album and had you know since passed on Mark Evanier happened to be at the studio when I was doing something else okay and uh, and uh, he said, oh, hold on, Stan Freeberg is here, and I think he needs to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, did, Corey, did, did he know, did he just somehow know you'd be able to, to nail a Paul Freeze? I, I, don't, I don't, how did that come about? 
Yeah, well, I've known Mark for many, many years. Yeah. And he had heard my impression of Paul Fries before and just knows me as a good mimic (laughs) and uh, Dawes Butler trained voice actor and uh, figured uh, I was the guy. It was just coincidental. We just happened to be at the same place at the same time. Okay. And uh, yeah, he waved Stan in and said, close your eyes now. And I was at the microphone and I said, Stan Freeberg modestly presents the United States of America. You know, the, 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 that, for those few who may know that uh, that album. Uh. We've talked about that. We talked about this last week or the week before on the show, and I said, people, you may not know the name Paul Freeds, but you know the voice. I mean, he, oh, yeah. he was everywhere. Yeah, he sure was. He was probably the most prolific Hollywood voice man, as they called them, you know, for like 20 years Yeah, through the early 90s. Can you do a little more? Well, it's just it's just a little impression of him. Uh, 1492 Madrid, the Queen of Spain grants an audience to an obscure Italian sailor. There in her chambers, plans are made destined to change the course of history. Damn it, that's good. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's etched into my brain because I've heard that album so many times uh, growing up and developing as a voice actor. And, you know, Stan Freeberg's writing was so indelible, and Freeze's performance, you know, just tickled me. Well, that was a great evening that night. I'm sure you um, especially had a great time seeing all those great clips they had of Freeberg and... Uh, and, and I guess some that hadn't been had not been seen since they were aired on like the Ed Sullivan Show back in the the fifties. I was really surprised at what Mark was able to. Well, Mark and associates uh, who helped uh, those who uh, archive this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that they were able to get this uh, footage in such good condition. And of course, uh, you and I were both marveling at the unsung, the uncredited classic crazy Warner Brothers characters that Stan created. Everybody thinks it was all Mel Blanc. Yeah, let's talk about that. I I didn't know until you kind of brought me up to speed that uh, although we all think of every single voice that you hear on these cartoons as Mel Blanc, in fact, he had a contractual agreement that he'd be the only one named. There were other people that were involved, like Freeberg and so many others. Mel was very old-fashioned show business. You've got to have your name out front as the the miraculous one and only singular voice talent uh, in the nation. That's not still the case. You guys, if you do the work now, you get the credit, don't? Or, or is that still sometimes what they what they do in the industry? We're always credited, although usually the voices that aren't celebrities these days, we sort of get pushed to the back for the, that that two second flash of, mm-hmm. of sixty names. <laughs> That must irk the heck out of you. That some, um, why do they let se- someone like Cameron Diaz, you know, get get a spot in a cartoon when she's not, she's got no proven ability as an actress uh, in any capacity, as far as I can see. Well, <laughs> the studios believe that that a celebrity, in fact, they do contractually obligate them to promote the movie, so mm-hmm. they believe it boosts the box office tremendously when the celebrities go on talk shows and talk up. The, the animated feature that they're starring in. And of course, you know, you get the same story of uh, 
oh, I didn't have to put on makeup, and I didn't have to dress, and I was just in my jogging suit, and and it was so easy. We just read, and then we get paid a million dollars, and like, uh, yeah, okay, must be nice. <laughs> let, let's go. Let, let's go. Let's talk about some of the professionals that you worked with. Uh, that, that the uh, in the evening, a tribute to, to Freeberg. They they um, noted his longtime collaborator Dawes Butler started out with well, I guess writing some of the scripts with him. And when he got started with his famous uh, Time for Beanie program, which uh, yeah. led, to, led to other things. And and I guess uh, you worked with and knew Dawes Butler quite well. He was one of the first professional voice talents that uh, that I met actually one of the first uh, show business professionals I ever met uh, I I met uh, June Foray uh, who was the greatest uh, voice actress <laughs> yeah uh, June Foray and Paul Fries were the you know the, the main yeah voice actor actress uh, duo of that whole era and, uh, we, should, we should tell people who they are. June Farray, of course, is Rocky. Rocky the Rocky Blind Bullwinkle Squirrel. And, so many and, and Natasha. Yeah. And very famous for Witch Hazel, which she did for Disney and Warner Brothers. And De Patty Freeling, I think. She's everywhere, I guess, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and who, what, what, what do we know Dawes Butler as? I know he did a, a million voices, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Well, what? Dawes Butler was uh, Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound, Mr. Jinx, okay. Elroy Jetson. And uh, Captain Crunch, and uh, he was my mentor. And I met him when June Foray invited myself and a friend to sit in on a recording session that she was doing. And she said, oh, uh, oh, Doss Butler will be there. He's a very nice man. I think you'll like him. Uh-huh. So don't be nervous. And uh, that was at actually uh, a thing they were doing for television for KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles. Uh, and it was a thing called the We'll Get You to Bed by Midnight Theater. And okay. Dawes and June were sort of a honeymooners-like couple that you didn't see on camera. You just saw their feet. Okay. And, and the TV set with a test pattern on it. <laughs> <laughs> and so they played this sort of Ralph and Alice uh, couple. It was very, very funny. But from the moment I first met Dawes Butler... He started teaching me. He says, "Now, now, this is a this is an Electro Voice microphone. It's very good for this kind of thing. Now, you'll notice uh, I, I, I do a little bit of warm up, vocal warm up, and I look it over, get a sense of what the scene is going to be like, and then here it goes something like this." And I was like, "Wow!" So he was already teaching me from practically the first moment I met him. And then uh, I kept in touch with him over the years, and eventually he started a uh, radio acting workshop. And uh, I'm very shy. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't go to too many events and public venues. But uh, he said, "You just have to come okay. to my workshop." And uh, of course, uh, bit by bit, I broke out of my shell a little bit <laughs> yeah and learned to be a professional classic radio actor and we should know there are damn few of you i mean there are not that many people who can earn a living doing that yeah people ask for advice i don't even know what kind of advice to give these <laughs> days because the demand is so fast-paced 
and naturally they're going to go to the people who've been around for a while for all the the premium voice gigs because you know it, it it's just too time consuming yeah to work with a non-celebrity who uh, doesn't really have the craft. I mean, these days they can go through hundreds of takes and just slice and dice words and phrases to make it sound all polished. But of course, I was trained to do it live. Some of the young producers are are astonished. It's like, uh, you want to do three takes of each line? I said, well, why don't I just do the whole thing? Uh, just, Just do a rough first take. Uh, okay, and then of course I run through the script, and you know, even if it's a couple of characters, it's easy. Flip back and forth. And, okay, and then I get to the end, and they go, "Oh my God, I, I can use that just the way it is." <laughs> well, you must save them quite a bit of money in the end uh, when it's all said and done. I think so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know. My agents uh, do try to get me above scale, but uh, <laughs> you know, if the project is fun. And the material is good. You know, the money, I, I don't... Uh, my people worry about that. It, <laughs> it, it's all good for me. Fair enough. You know, I, you have a website, too, I think we might want to plug. You've got some interesting information on there about microphones, and where can people go for that? Oh, yeah. Well, it's www.coreyburton.com, C-O-R-E-Y-B-U-R-T-O-N. Although I don't keep active at it, Currently, it's been a little while, but I kind of, I compiled so much uh, information in my question and answer uh, message board yeah. over the past oh, couple of, a decade and a half, maybe. I don't know. It's been a long time. So uh, there's a whole lot to, to uh, explore and, and learn about through that chat yeah and then yeah I, i've written a couple of couple of articles uh, uh on the home page i want to plug also mark evanieri he's the only blog we, we advertise him on this show is the only blog we rely upon because he writes well he's got good stories to tell and he knows how to tell them and we just think he's it's just great to quote from him from time to time yeah mark is a, a present day mad genius of, <laughs> of animation writing and production and uh, just an encyclopedia of knowledge about uh, about this part of the business and and uh, classic character actors and radio actors and voice actors, writers and animators. Uh, he's uh, he's just terrific. And yeah. He's been doing these Garfield uh, specials of late. He's the, really the guy behind Garfield, I guess, on television. Yeah. Corey, you have to come back on the show again uh, real soon. I think it's been about six or seven years since you were last on. Let, let's make this a more regular occurrence. Uh, but in talking to you before, you'd mentioned that, that Paul Fries might be best known to the public as the voice of Boris Badenoff. And, of course, he yeah. passed away years ago, and they, they still do some work with him. And you said, very tough voice to do. Yeah, I've never heard anybody do it quite right. I, I don't think I do it very well. Give it a, give it a shot. But well, as as Boris Badenov would uh, often say, as somebody was uh, falling down a cliff or being uh, spirited away by a by a hawk, <laughs> he'd say, "Don't forget to write." <laughs> anyway, that, indeed, that, uh, he would. Uh, 
Corey Burton, it's a great pleasure. I, I know you've got a lot of stories about uh, about Jay Ward, those cartoons, which I love so much, Rocky and Bullwinkle, and no doubt a lot of our listeners do too, that you actually knew Jay Ward personally. So, uh, doggone it, come back in the weeks or months to come and talk about some of that, will you? Oh, it'll be my pleasure any time. Corey Burton, thanks so much. Why, thank you. And as Gary Owens used to say, thank you, AM and FM. <laughs> As we promised at the top of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a trip we made to Los Angeles to speak with a very illustrious actor, a man who has not only been an actor, but a director, a producer, who has worked with some of the most famous names in Hollywood history. The actor is Norman Lloyd. If you're a Hitchcock fan, you know him as the title character in Hitchcock's 1941 movie, Saboteur. The ending of that movie, which takes place on the Statue of Liberty, is so uh, famous in film lore that uh, Universal Studios made it a, an attraction on their tour. Which is quite a way to break into pictures. So, you, you, get, you get the title role in the Hitchcock movie. In the Hitchcock picture. So, I, if I'd been around um, Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have gotten that. I'd like to plug the DVD for that film for our listeners, too, because you have the, you're in that extra section that talks at great length about the film, and, and, and it's... it's so it's wonderful these DVDs have these these extras, and one that really got me was in a tale you told. Hitchcock wanted film of the uh, the line of Normandy, a real life example of, of sabotage, and then and then stuck it in the picture and interspersed with your you're looking out at it. So it's really well done. That was all Hitch. When the Normandy capsized in port, everyone thought that it was sabotage. Also, Hitch immediately heard about it and ordered the footage from Universal Newsreel. And he was going to use it, which he does, as sabotage in the picture. The government was trying to prevent him from doing that. They were saying, it's not sabotage, and, and Hitch was told he couldn't do it. He did it. But you, you, your character comes to a bad end, a very famous bad end in Hollywood history, on the Statue of Liberty. And my understanding, Galen, you may know, I think Universal Tours you, use that as part of one of the attractions at one point. You can substitute. I am in Orlando. To, I may be yeah, still here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's very funny because when they wanted to have it as one of the attractions, mm-hmm. nobody remembered or knew how it was done. So they came to me. I charged them a fee. <laughs> as you should. <laughs> and told them how it was done. That became one of the attractions. What they did with the attraction is since there was a contraption initially of a pipe with a saddle on it, a seat on it, on which I sat, and the camera went up, and I did all sorts of beautiful balletic movements in simulating a fall. They then built that contraption and let tourists sit in it and pretend that they were doing the fall. Over me was a platform suspended from the ceiling of the stage, which was the largest stage at Universal then, stage 12. There was a square hole in the middle of it. The camera looked through that hole. On a cue, the platform 
with the camera grinding, went up to the ceiling, many takes ground at different speeds, went up to the ceiling, pulling away from me as I did these movements of falling. And that's how our shot was done. And they painted in the bay and the, and the harbor and all that stuff. Well, it's, it's a hell of a special effect. I understand that uh, people would ask Hitchcock, we used this quote on our show last week, that they would ask him, what's my motivation? And he would say, your paycheck. Well, the story I know is he was directing an actor in a picture, one of his pictures. The actor was a major star. And at some point, Hitch told the actor to sit down. And uh, the actor who was versed in the actor studio method, Stanislavski method, said, why do I sit at that point? And Hitchcock said, to put your ass in the seat of the chair. That's being a director. That was the first of what I hope will be several installments of our talk with legendary actor Norman Loy, the guy that can tell you of first-hand experiences with Orson Welles, Charlie Chaplin, and Alfred Hitchcock is a guy we just love talking to. Lending authenticity to that interview, which was conducted at the Musso and Frank Grill in Hollywood, were the blenders in the background making the martinis, which according to the Hollywood Travel Guide are considered the best in LA, perhaps. Uh, we were also joined by BBC Hollywood correspondent Gail Murphy at the table as well, as our associate Bruce Bronstein has been a great value to us in getting us guests down in LA. I'm Douglas Everett, and we need a brief break, so let's take one.